Hello, hello. Welcome to a brand new episode of the SaaS Prince podcast, the podcast for content marketers in SaaS. And I'm your host, Yag. In today's episode, we're going to learn how to build and execute content strategy during the early stages of a SaaS startup. And to discuss that, I have Devin Reed, one of my favorite content marketers in the world of SaaS. Devin is an absolute legend when it comes to content strategies that builds trust and revenue. I absolutely stalk him on LinkedIn. Many of us are regular subscribers of his network, Content Strategy Reader, and his course on LinkedIn content creation. He was one of the key members who built the marketing flywheel at Gong, who is still date synonymous with Gong Labs, and is currently the head of content at Clary. So without any further ado, hey ho, let's go. Devin, I'm super happy to have you, my man. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing great. It's Friday. I get to hang out with you, talk about content. It's good life. Absolutely. I'm super excited today. Right. You know, let's start with some role play. Let's say you've just joined a brand new SaaS startup as the head of content. And for the purpose of simplicity, let's say you are a one person content marketing team. So what does your first month look like? And uh, what are some quick wins that you're looking at? The first thing I was going to say, which is what you ended with, which is finding a quick win. Uh, so yeah. I think that's kind of the first part. So the, the first month now, if we're talking past kind of like product onboarding and you're kind of like actually on the job, um, the first thing I would start to look through is point of what's our point of view from a marketing standpoint. Uh, I would look at which channels are working. So a little bit of an audit, where are we at, what's working, what's not. Uh, and then just a bit of uh, audit on the content itself. What do we have from top of funnel, you know, awareness all the way down to customer yeah. evidence? Uh, what is being engaged with? What's not? How does the sales team engage with us? How do they not? And really the goal is just to start to understand a bit of a blueprint and the gaps in what exists today. Because the last thing you want to do is come in with a playbook that worked at your last company right. and assume that you can apply it. And it's not even that the strategy might not be applicable immediately, but the people on your team may not have the skills or the experience to run that playbook, even if it would work. So I like to start to look at what we have, what we don't have, what's working, what's not, and then start to use that as the baseline to formulate my plan moving forward. So is that the time you also come up with the initial content strategy based on talking to customers and things like that? So what does it look in execution, basically? The first 30 days? Yeah. Well, sort of, it kind of depends on all the aforementioned things, but I would then start to build out a probably like just the next three months. What does the next three months look like? So when I started at Clary, I built the strategy deck in the first 30 days and that was doing what I just mentioned, which was the audit, talking to uh, what I called like a little roadshow. So going to sales leaders, salespeople, other marketers, and just start to understand their point of view on the market, uh, the content marketing department. And from there, once I've kind of gathered all that information, then I'm going to build my annual plan. And that's your high level 30,000 feet talking to the CEO and, and other ELT members of kind of like how your function works, who's on it, what do you do, what are you responsible for, and what metrics can we expect from your department. So that's the high level plan. The more tactical part is then to say, I usually just do like the next three or six months, kind of depending, you know, if I was, but depends on kind of the maturity of the marketing team at that point. Um, but I also know when you're just one person, it's tough to go more than six months in advance, or, you know, even three months in advance. So I would start to map out, you know, what are the topics we want to talk about? 
What are the different channels? You know, are we going to host a webinar? Are we, you know, pumping out email content and just start to kind of get, like I said, that outline of what's in play, what do we want to talk about and how often are we able to publish on those channels given our, our bandwidth? No, that makes a lot of sense. You know, let's let's talk about um, the kind of content that um, we need to publish in the early stages. So, for instance, I'm not talking about the format per se, but the kind of topics. For instance, you know, it could be uh, product-led content wherein you're trying to focus on getting more signups and uh, trying to talk about use cases. Or certain people prefer to start with thought leadership and try to uh, build demand for the future. While I understand that it's not either or, but what would your mix be? And man, the answer is depends, but because I'm trying to like, you know, you have to collect more information to give you like an exact plan. But I would say like, I, I would focus on capture first or converting people first. Um, so that's what I would start to look for. Because when we talked about a quick win earlier, oftentimes a webinar is a really good way to do that. Because what you're getting a chance to do is you start to practice some of your promotional channels, right? So how does email perform? How does social perform? You start to get a really good feel for that. And then as you move to the actual webinar itself, it's good for your brand. And it's also good for pipeline because you can often convert even some top of funnel topics into you know sales conversations. And so my thing would probably be somewhere like in a middle funnel, maybe like a um, kind of like a, I've done this before with like a thought leader and product demo mix. So the first 10, it's only a 30 minute webinar. And the first 10 minutes are like, you know, someone for some subject matter expert from your team coming on and kind of sharing like your point of view and how it applies to the product and some of the benefits maybe clients uh, have gotten. So it's kind of like a, a good primer to the demo. And then a sales engineer comes in with maybe one specific use case or one use case with like three sub use cases underneath it. And they do a live demo and they can kind of pause it and let people either come off pause or, you know, uh, answer the Q and A. And what it does is just gives kind of like a one to many demo across multiple accounts, but it's more than that. And it also has a different appeal to prospects because there's not a salesperson in the room. You don't feel like you're being sold to, you feel like you're being uh, educated and hopefully a little entertained. And so I've seen those convert really well. So that was probably like the first like real play. If I like had to put a card down, I'd probably warm up like a mid funnel, somewhat product oriented um, webinar, promote that to all of our list, all of our audience. Uh, and that would set me a good baseline of kind of expectations of what to expect. And then also, of course, hopefully give some good qualified ops over to the sales team. No, I absolutely love this. You know, um, talking to a lot of people, I've hardly heard anyone start with webinar. That's that's unique in itself. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, 99% of the webinars that I've attended or seen or also been a part of, I mean, it puts people to sleep. And uh, yeah. how is that, um, you know, how is that you make those webinars interesting at the same time, uh, make sure that it's not purely a lead capture exercise, wherein the next time people feel that, okay, if I go to this webinar, I'll probably be on the nurture list and people will kill me with emails. So how do you, how do you come up with something that is exciting that people want to consume? The first part about hosting a webinar and really any content that you're producing is you should be focused on making it so entertaining and educational that people want to come back for more. And the problem with a lot of B2B content, and it kind of starts with this like curse of being obsessed with your product, right? Like most B2B SaaS companies are obsessed with their product. They think it's perfect. And they're like, if you could only see it, if you could only see what it does, Yag, you would buy this immediately. The problem is most of the world does not care about your product. 
Not yet, at least. And so the content, especially obviously if it's top of funnel and thought leadership, it needs to be so valuable. And that valuable is obviously subjective, but I think of it as, is it insightful? Is it relevant? Is it actionable? And ideally, is it somewhat entertaining? And so every time you're producing content, including a webinar, it should follow this formula, right? And so really what you're doing is you're, I kind of look at it as like a program. I'm trying to entertain you for the full 30 minutes. At no point should you get bored. And actually, if I can, I'll probably end it at 28 minutes just so I know, because I know y'all, you have a call at top of the hour, right? If you, if you bother to tune into my live webinar. And so I keep all of these things in mind. And then when I'm going to deliver the content that the company cares about, right? Things about the product benefits, use cases, then I'm starting to place them into this format. And I look at what do they absolutely need to know? And what do they not need to know on all at once, right? So, cause I don't want to over-educate. I don't want to overwhelm folks. Give them just enough to get really interested, nod their head and go, yeah, I get it. This is cool. I think I can see how it applies to me. And then leave more on the bone, more meat on the bone, so to speak. So they want to come and talk to a salesperson, right? And so they start to convert and continue that education journey versus feeling bloated and overstuffed and bored. And they're like, nah, I mean, maybe it would be work. Maybe it would work, but I didn't enjoy that experience. No, the reason why I asked this is because, you know, especially when it comes to Clary, you know, it's, it's primarily around uh, the, the topic is more around forecasting revenue and all of that, which is primarily, you know, it's, it's, it is hard to make it entertaining. You are talking yeah. about pipeline all the time and clarity of pipeline, accuracy of forecast and all of that. I'm like, how? This, this makes a lot of sense. And in fact, uh, you know, you've even gone on to make bloopers on LinkedIn around this. So, which is yeah. fantastic. <laughs> Yeah, the blooper, you know, it's it's fun and almost annoying that the blooper reels always outperform the action <laughs> video that you spent all your time and energy on. Yeah, I, I love it, but they, they are fun. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right. You know, um, just out of curiosity, how big was your content team at Gong and what is your current team? Like, are they differently structured? How does it work? Uh, yeah, they are definitely structured. I had seven, I believe seven on both. Um, so when I started at Gong, I was you know, like your uh, opening scenario, one one guy on the team. Um, and I think I started with the webinar back then, actually, now that I think about it, that or LinkedIn, um, and hired everybody on the team. So, you know, scaled it myself with one person that had transferred teams internally to join. So I think, I believe there's left with seven, um, all of them reported to me. And here at Clary, I have seven as well. Um, five that report to me, one of them is a manager. Um, but the team makeup is very different because when I was at Gong, I was basically hiring one, two, three. I had four, three or four content marketers in a row, three, three in a row. And then I hired like a senior editor. Then we hired a part-time intern. So when you say content marketers, them. are these primarily people who write or they also create videos? Good question. I would say everyone on my team can like could create everything. They're like generalists in that way. Some, okay. some have more or less experience with video, but we also had a video agency um that we would rely on so like if i if i um ask someone to create a video they would often work with an agency versus like being expected to shoot and, and edit and all that and all that stuff um here at clary the team's a little bit different because i have uh, a senior editor as well i have a production manager so i have somebody with specific video and editing experience like get him into a room and he can like set up lighting for you and all that which is really cool and a, a treat for me because usually it's been uh you know outsourced um and then I have uh, customer evidence, so a customer marketing manager that replies, to, uh, excuse me, reports to me. He creates customer evidence, things like videos and case studies. Um, couple, and then a few, and then a handful of uh, content marketers and content specialists. Yeah. 
Right, right. So um, wh- what do you measure your content on currently? Like what are some uh, metrics that you go for? Because this is sometimes, you know, often when I get into conversations, it goes into phases like, hey, um, which pieces of content directly contributes to revenue? Yeah, You can say that, yes, the you got sign up from these pages and all of that. But specifically, mapping content to revenue is not that easy. So are there any uh, primary, um, say, your certain metrics, you would say that these are lagging metrics and these metrics are something that I would rely on. Um, initially, I would look at these aspects and say that if this are done, then probably I'm on the right path. Is that something that you look at? So the I always take a deep breath before the metrics question uh, or the answer because it's such a long answer and that's not a ba- that is not saying anything about the question it's just like there's so much that goes into yeah, it yeah because yeah, as you're saying <laughs> there's like the blanket or not the blanket but the uh, opening statement is you can't see the impact directly from all exactly. of the things that top of funnel content yeah. and marketing does so I feel like I have to start there and go everything I say from this point on is already an incomplete picture. But I'm going to tell you, uh, you know, as clearly as I can, the completeness of what I have, right? And so the things that I always look at for my team is web traffic. Are we getting direct web traffic up? Uh, we can talk about converting that, but that's technically a different team. We help with that. But the main thing I'm responsible for is, is web traffic, specifically direct, um, inbound. So just how many people are coming to us and requesting a demo. Um, and then the second one would be MQL, or third one would be MQLs. And we still are looking at, pipeline generated, influenced, and revenue from these programs. Those are just kind of the three that are usually at the top of a slide to say, hey, here are the indicators that things are working. That doesn't mean, you know, we don't stop there, but those are the big three. And then honestly, I can tell you this because I just finished the deck yesterday for H2. We have a monthly content metrics meeting across my whole team. There's literally at least 40 or 50 other metrics across the whole department that we measure. And I will give you as many if you want, but I can't, (laughs) I will not be able to remember all of them off the fly. No, I mean, it reminds me of one of your posts where you say that, uh, start with the CEO slide, (laughs) you know? Yes. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. Exactly. And that's where all of our, all of our, our strategic goals come from the CEO slide. And then all the metrics cascade from there in terms of, you know, everything from channel growth and health to revenue performance. Right, right. So does it actually change based on the business model? What I'm asking here primarily is that there are certain companies that are primarily sales led where there are more and more companies are becoming more and more product led. So as you do that, um, do you start to look at um, say inbound signups as a primary equation versus for some other companies, it could be scheduled demos. Is it like that? Yeah, I I would. And that's the, I hope to get a crack at that one day. I feel like uh, with my focus on copyright and, and conversions, instead of trying to get the the highest order, you know, is is a, is a requesting a demo at an enterprise company. That's like the hardest thing to get. I think I would, I think, and it's no knock on PLG companies. I have to imagine it'd be easier to say, hey, why don't you just click this button with your Google, you know, log in with Google and you get free access to our, you know, an account and you get going. That's a little bit more appealing and, and faster, faster reward. So that's what I would measure myself on. And uh, I hope one day I get to give it a crack. You know, we spoke a lot about uh, POV in the beginning. Um, the interesting part about point of view is that at least in my experience, it initially comes from the top, which is usually the CEO. And when the team is small, it's probably easy for you to, uh, you know, uh, get on a conversation with your CEO and say that, hey, um, marketing teams and CEO can be closely knit. This is our point of view on certain things. But as you start to scale your team, you know, POV gets kind of watered down and slowly it, it kind of becomes a sea of sameness. So do you have a 
framework primarily to say that hey this is what qualifies as a pov and then as we scale let's not lose the essence of who we are in every piece of content that we produce yeah so at clary we we've done a really good job at this um and i give credit to you know andy kyle our ceo and cmo and chris lockhead is one of the advisors at coming up with a pov and also these um i think they're called spicy hot takes underneath the pov which are kind of like supporting sentences literally one maybe two sentences that just reinforce the high level point of view and I'll give you I'll read it off to you in a second but what we've done is it's just in a one I think it might be have grown to two pages now but it's a two page google doc that everybody on the marketing team has and so the first part is to avoid it getting watered down and forgotten is it is basically printed out on everyone's laptop like everybody has this thing bookmarked and so you can reference it at any time So that's the first most important thing is document and share it and that helps with reinforcement. The second part is as head of content and as your marketing leadership especially your CMO, their responsibility is to continue to speak it both internally and externally so your team should consistently hear it from you because it's not enough just to see it on your screen, it's even more impactful when it comes from your chief marketing officer saying, "Hey, this is the marching order, this is why." And it's inspiring as well. And so you have that and then I'd say the third is usually the ceo should be repeating it as well so things that like you know uh what all hand meetings town halls any of those big internal meetings they should be iterating that as well as maybe they're sharing the marketing and company strategy so those are kind of the three ways that you got to make sure the team has that information it's you know like I said printed so to speak and then people are reinforcing it over and over again so people you know especially new hires don't forget it i uh, love it on several levels because hardly i've seen many organizations have this as a document and to have a two pager is fantastic it's it's almost like uh, you know a positioning doc uh, for that yeah. right so it's yeah, yeah yeah exactly right right and um, what qualifies for a pov it's like uh, you know there there is often a confusion that you have a point of view as a content writer on a topic and then there is the company's point of view towards certain things what we do and we don't do so how do you balance yeah. between the two Yeah, that's a really good question. Let's start with the company point of view. What it does is the whole point of a company point of view is to explain to the world a new perspective of which to view the world. So you're telling people a new way to look at the world. Think about uh Lyft or Uber, you know, those. They basically said the concept of ride share, which was, "Hey, if you look around the whole world, don't look at it as cars and roads and you should be driving everywhere." look at it as your car is parked for 98% of its life or something like that some very very high stat you go we should redesign the way we live which is by sharing rides and not owning as many cars and we would basically have a more efficient way of living and it would i think it'd be better for the environment i believe was obviously part of their argument and so now you're looking at the world and maybe your car through a different lens and that's the lifts lens that's the they they had this long manifesto it's probably still on their website that's really interesting so your pov has to look at the world in a new way and and of course the new way is supported by the product that you sell just to be clear that's so there's that and so when you think about writing as a pov uh, the pov you could be adding your tone your style and your perspective it's almost like adding commentary to an existing topic right the opposite of that is just regurgitating stuff that you've all heard before which is basically anything you can find on chat gpt <laughs> for the most part and you're just saying hey i'm just repeating something i'm just saying something someone else did in the exact same way and that's when you fall into the sea of sameness that you mentioned 
the delicate balance here is, uh, you know, also not coming across as um, the same content repeated in different flavors at the same time being authentic because it's like a line of thought, but that's in every single thing that you do. It could be saying that, hey, why we built this feature versus some other company did not, or they have one, but we do it differently because of this. And it's it's one of the funniest things here is that, um, you know, in a lot of places, I see this factor that when companies begin to work with agencies, especially, um, and when they start working with multiple agencies, when you go and look at the blog, it's often like every piece sounds very different and it does not feel like yeah. it's from one cohesive organization. That's where it's, things start to fall off. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That's definitely fair. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, let's talk a little bit about uh, podcasts. You've launched a couple of podcasts at SaaS companies and um, a lot of companies today, when I look at it, they do have um, they do have a podcast. It's more like a checklist, a checkbox, and they're not very much invested in it, right? Uh, and this is my personal gripe because I believe that podcast as such has a lot of potential. It's, it's a space where you can build relationships. You can put in, um, say, thought leadership content for your own point of view. It can be building relationships and um, having it as a demand gen channel and whatnot. So given your experience, I would love to hear, hear your approach to podcasting. Like, how do you see it as part of the content marketing mix? What is your typical life cycle of a podcast? So I've launched two different podcasts at SaaS companies, um, and both were to support the category play. So both were to evangelize the category. And there's a lot of great reasons so we can spend as much time here as you like uh, to start a podcast. And I would say, though, too, is the disclaimer is just make sure that you're intentional with how you're going to use this podcast for category, for brand and pipeline. You can use it for all. You can be very specific and use it for just one of those that I said. And that still makes it a really strategic channel. And uh, but the problem is that a lot of people just like you said, they kind of phone it in. Right. They start a podcast. It's kind of boring. Um, usually it's really educational and sometimes it's really more about the product, sorry, education about the product, or sometimes it's really like a thinly veiled pitch and people tune out for that reason. So kind of going back to, like we said, for webinars, they need to be entertaining and they need to be insightful. Like those are the two reasons that people listen to podcasts is you're usually looking for some sort of insight, some sort of practical advice, maybe for your job, maybe to be a better parent or something like that. Or you just listen to the pure entertainment ones, which might be like, you know, from stand up comedians and talk show hosts. And there's nothing wrong with either. But you should understand that about your audience when you're designing your podcast is where on that spectrum are you going to fall? Right. I'm not saying, yeah, you know, it should be like, yeah, yeah, stand up hour and that's going to help you sell more software. That might not work. I don't know if that would work. But you don't want to also be so far on the other side where you're just, you know, droning on and on about boring stuff. So, I would say kind of just like keep that in mind as you're designing it. Uh, that's what that's what we did. We've done uh, interview shows for both. Um, and that helps because you can create a lot of thought leadership. And as you said, industry expert uh, excuse me, relationships through that channel. Like if every week you're hosting a podcast, which I'm sure you're doing, you know, if not that kid, it's something similar. You meet a lot of people and you also give if you're trying to break into new accounts, you give prospects a platform that they can share their expertise and you're starting to build relationships. We've, we've parlayed that into an enterprise deal was inviting a prospect onto the podcast a few months later, closing them for a deal. You can have customers on your podcast sharing expertise, not, not to talk about your product that you can maybe sprinkle that in if you know the use cases are there and it's, and it's again, back to entertaining. 
But then you're saying, hey, that's a retention play. That's an expansion play. We're going to build relationships with executives at key client accounts and use these conversations to, again, make them feel special, give them, give them a stage, amplify their voice. And then, of course, you know, build relationships as you're talking to them. I love it on uh, for a few reasons here, because one is when it's a category play, it's it's obvious, right? So uh, whether the one that you did or the one that Sangram built for Terminus, all of them was yeah. very focused to building that idea and uh, promoting that category. And of course, uh, you know, because you guys are uh, close with Lockhead, of course, he's, he's all in on that one. But yeah. when you look at it, um, you know, category creation or category design is probably, I would say, about four to five percent of the companies majority of them are not in that play and so for all the others while the easiest option is probably to bring in customers or uh, thought leaders or uh, you know um, functional specialists like you and have this kind of a conversation but from there um, you know how to use that is where the actual magic is it's not about just creating two snippets posting it on linkedin and then be done with it so how does that's exactly where i was interested into you know how does that fit into your content mix so that it does yeah. not die down after a couple of weeks of that episode easiest way to get even more roi from your podcast is to repurpose that content using a content waterfall right so every single podcast that clary gets turned into either a thought leadership blog an article that goes on our uh, corporate website or some sort of playbook that could be gated or ungated depending on the distribution channel. And so right there, you just doubled the amount of content, tripled if you go through all three. Usually we pick one or two of those, we don't do all of them. Then we break those down into the videos that you had just mentioned, but we post them on multiple channels, including our CEO or Kyle who hosts the podcast, um, assuming the topic or you know, if Andy's on it, then he'll join it. Um, sometimes we'll give it to the sales team uh, to share as well, which we're working on distributing that through uh, the employee base. Um, and so I'd say right there is like, if you're not at least doing that, like to me, that's kind of just like what makes the most sense. You could of course split up into more LinkedIn posts, which, it, which then it kind of does, it kind of becomes other LinkedIn posts for other, um, other channels. Like you can, like I said, send it to your executives that are on the show. The thing I think that people miss is sending podcast clips of the speaker that isn't your company and sending that to them to share, um, that's something I always ask my team to do because I feel like that's a kind of a nice gift. And if someone was just bothering to be on your show, they might want to post about it, makes them look good, right? A nice 4K video. Um, so that helps kind of get the podcast name out there as well. One thing that I've learned in the past, apart from this, is probably, you know, when it's in a company setup, there are, it's hardly the speaker and the guest who do the posting. But when it's an organization, you forget that there is, there is an opportunity for employees to become the face of this and they can also share it from their perspective, adding their individual uh, POA to it and that flavor. Yeah. So I think this is something that I learned from somebody um, and they called it the angel falls model, uh, wherein it's like, it just, it is not just about dropping and repurposing, but identifying different people within your organization who could actually expand it. Oh yeah. yeah. I like that. That's smart. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So that brings us to the second half of the podcast, which we call the rapid fire section. And in this section, I'm going to shoot five pointed questions at you. The questions might be short. The answers need not be. Let's see how this goes. Right. Are you ready? Yeah. Let's go. Here's question number one. Leaving a Slack channel, is it guilt or relief? 
oh, that's absolute relief. And I think I've posted about this before. Every time I leave a Slack channel, there's like a little bit of anxiety right before I leave. Like, am I, should I, am I supposed to? And then you're like, yeah, screw it. And then you leave and you're like, ah, yeah, less, less, is, less is good. Absolutely. Absolutely. You don't want to wake up to a ton of Slack messages. Love that. Right. So here's question number two. Using chat GPT in content creation, yes or no? Yes, with specific use cases and guidelines. All right. Would you care to expand a little bit on that? Uh, yes. I think it's great for, hey, I have a title for a webinar, as we were talking about, and give me 20 options in a specific tone. And a lot of times it will give you good Never the winner is one, but you might get a word choice or like just a way of uh, forming the sentence or title. So I do like it for that. It's good for summarizing, but I tell people just because it can create content doesn't mean it makes creative content. So I don't make <laughs> it for generating new ideas, but I use it for summarization and other such things. Right. Love the choice of words. Amazing. Right. Question number three, looking back, what has been one huge challenge that you have had with respect to your newsletter content strategy reader big challenge i would say time management and getting that thing out every single week it's still a grind i'm on year three now i've just finished like you know we've done it for two years i've also had two kids in the meantime so i think it was like really easy with no kids then kind of harder with one and now with two uh it definitely is a challenge to make sure uh just because i like to produce high quality stuff every week and put in the time put in the effort to think through new ideas and share them so uh, yeah, that, that weekly deadline is like, it's like tough. It's like running a couple miles every Saturday. No, that's awesome. And, um, I was probably expecting you to talk something on the lines of maybe you would say, uh, growing the, uh, subscription list, but actually, I mean, both are true when that's on yeah. autopilot, obviously this is the second close one. Makes sense. Yeah. Growing it is number two only because writing it comes first. But yeah, mm -hmm. if you had said pick two, then yeah, growing is the next, but I feel like uh, I mean, both are fun, but they're totally, they're two totally different types of challenges. Right, right. All right. Here's a fun one. Would you pick loyal following or niche following? Can I pick both? Can I have a niche loyal <laughs> following? Uh, I would pick, well, it kind of, it's kind of tough, but I would pick both. But usually what the opposites are like a large or a niche you know, I would pick niche. That's where my, I was leaning towards niche, got it, got but it. if they are niche, hopefully they're loyal because it is such a specific yeah, yeah, group that they should hopefully be loyal to you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. All right. Here's the final rapid fire in three words or less. What is your advice to somebody who is starting their career in content today? Read, write every day. That's wow. the best I can do, which is read and write every day. Right. I mean, that's also a wordplay on your name. I love that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it is. It does come up a lot. Um, but yeah, that's what I would say. Like the best, whenever I get in the zone and the product of my best work is always having been reading and writing, which is practicing every single day. Reading gives you input. Writing helps you with the outputs. So you become, you know, your, your engine gets running. So yeah, if you're ever feeling writer's block, you don't know what to say. It's probably because you haven't been reading or writing a lot. Yeah. lately so you got to yeah. get yourself warmed up yeah no absolutely and many a time you know my inspiration comes from listening to podcasts that are not in the domain of marketing usually from different areas yes. and i'm like oh wow i could use it here yeah absolutely get get outside of marketing books business books um there is a lot of valuable ones i love influence by cialdini as yeah. do many um but I try to go back and forth between like a marketing business book and then something completely different. Like right now I'm reading The Mindful Athlete, which is about 
you know, Buddhism uh, principles and sports, which has nothing to do with marketing. So bouncing back and forth, though, you get you get better inputs and you get different inputs, right? You get different word choices and styles. So, yeah, I like to do that. Amazing. All right. So uh, we have come towards the end of the show and uh, you've hit all five questions out of the park. That's fantastic. Right. So for all the listeners here, um, if I mean, of course, um, you are most active on LinkedIn as much I know, but what is your preference? Where should people connect you? Uh, let's connect on LinkedIn or follow me and uh, go to the reader.co, T-H-E-R-E-E, like my name, D-E-R.co. Uh, that's my website. You can sign up for my newsletter uh, and see other courses. And, uh, and I've got a book coming out pretty soon here, a digital book. Um, so yeah, check me out there. That is awesome. And uh, before I let you go, do you have one last parting message for the listeners? These are predominantly content marketers in the world of SaaS. Oh, yes. Okay. The best way to elevate your career is, as Yag said earlier, start with the CEO slide. So look at the strategic goals of your company and pick metrics that align to them as closely as you can, and then report on those metrics to your head of marketing. If you're not already doing this, start today. If you're not doing it that exact way, try it. This is the best way to take ownership of your functionality, show your impact, and as a result, make more money and get promoted. Wow. That's my tip. That is so good. Absolutely love that. And that's probably the great place to end this episode. Thank you so much, Devin. I absolutely loved every minute of it. And I'm sure so do our, our listeners. Appreciate your time joining us today. Likewise. Thanks for having me. And uh, thanks everyone for listening. Hope you enjoyed it.